We're looking at Luke chapter 4 today. It's a very interesting story. We're actually going to start by reading the story from start to finish in its entirety. So I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, grab a notebook, create a space just to to put yourself in a position to to encounter what God might want to highlight for you. So here we go. We're going to read these 13 verses in one shot, one sitting. Lean in and and listen to what happens here. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you, O give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pause and and pray and and give this space to God to, to meet with us over the next few minutes. Jesus, you, you see me, you see each one who is, who is listening, and you can meet us where we are at today. So I ask that you would, would use this time to help us capture what you want us to see and to help us to, to know you, to love you, and to follow you better as a result. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So there is a level of trust that all of us look for. Uh, Each of us has a demand and a desire to be known and understood. Like we crave the moments and the relationships where people really get us and know what we are feeling. Like, the, like when my wife, uh, Janelle, introduced me to the idea of missions in another country, she had spent several months living in South Africa. And I never understood fully why that so, you know, spiritually inspired her, why that got her so emotionally invested until I myself went, visited another country, lived in other people's homes, saw them weep over their neighborhoods and try to figure out how does Jesus impact their life with the day-to-day routine that they have in a context that is very different from my own. And I think I've realized over the last few years how little I understand about what it is like to be somebody else. Like hearing uh, stories uh, from people of color, hearing stories of depression, hearing stories of people wrestling with anxiety and suicidal thoughts, bipolar distortion, and and becoming more aware of the variety of of ways that people are expressing and trying to understand their their gender, their, their sexuality. It's like I'm asking myself, if I don't, you know, how can I understand somebody else's experience unless I've had somebody else's experience. Think, think of yourself. Do you feel like there's a big part of you 
that you just wish people would get, that you just wish people would understand. It's something that's so important to you, and yet you feel that you are unable to express. All of us have a desire to be known and to be understood. And this is why I think this passage we've just read today is so profound and so relevant because it makes this claim that God himself gets us. Like, look at Look at what, we, what we've just read in this New Testament book of Luke. The, the Bible explains what we just saw here in another place. Hebrews chapter 4, where we read in, in verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest. A high priest is someone who, as a human, can legitimately represent others, represent us before God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. This is exactly what Luke would want. In Luke chapter 1, he talked about how he he compiled carefully this narrative to to give people confidence for what they've been taught. And, And you and I, confidence in what we would believe. Continuing in verse 15 here of Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. See, Christianity claims that God knows you. Not that he's just generally aware of you and and is spying on you from some heavenly vantage point. Like there are people that see you all the time, every week, every day maybe even, who don't really know you. No, it's beyond that. It's that God himself actually came and experienced humanity from an earthly vantage point. I wonder if we've ever considered how amazing this is. Like, like think, of, think of the sacrifice. Think of the vulnerability. Think of the love required for the Son of God himself to go into the wild and experience all of what this would have been like. Look again at verse 2. For 40 days, Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Like Jesus, the Son of God, experiences hunger. Something he never should have experienced, but he did. Jesus, the Son of God, experiencing and being confronted with evil up close and personal. Something he didn't have to do, but did. Like this, this, this is like, like for me, I, I, I wonder how, how, how much it would take for, for us to want to do this for somebody else. Like I recently watched a show where uh, it was about a man who was wrongfully imprisoned. And for year after year, he wrestled with the fact that his own mother never came to visit him, never came and saw him in prison. And eventually, years later, he's acquitted, he's exonerated, he's released from prison. And in in the reunion with his mother, his mom apologizes and says and explains what was happening, saying that, look, I just couldn't bring myself to see my baby in shackles. And like, I get that. Like when I was 15, my mom was going through cancer treatments. And I remember there was, there was a couple of times, but one specific time especially sticks out where I just did not want to go and visit her in the hospital. I didn't want to see her the way that she was. I didn't want to see what she was going through. But this is different than Jesus. Jesus not only looks towards us, he actually comes and experiences this life himself, embracing it on his own. Look at at how he goes, I would say, beyond our experience. Look at verse 3. 
It's like the devil's telling him, look, you need food? Well, use your power. Stop being hungry. No. Verse six, verse seven. It's like, no, you're supposed to be a king. We've got all these promises. Luke chapter one through three. Like, look, you're supposed to be somebody here. Why don't you worship me and I will make you one? No. Verse nine. Look, if you're really the son of God, like if that's actually who you actually are, you know, you can do something miraculous, do it. No. Again, as Hebrews would say, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Don't miss that. Yet without sin. This is important. The fact that Jesus didn't yield, the fact that Jesus did not give in, and it's important for two reasons. Number one, because he doesn't give in to the, to the weight and, and of, of all of what this temptation is, he actually experiences it more than we do. Because we on our end, in, in our life, when we give into the ways of the world, we cut the temptation cycle short. We bail and, and, we, and we embrace it and not Jesus. Jesus goes beyond our experience and actually experiences the full weight of what evil can throw at him. He understands us. He understands the brokenness of evil and sin more than you and I do. It's also important for a second reason, because if Jesus did give in to deception and if he did give in to distraction, he would put himself in the same problem that he came himself to fix. The problem of sin. The very reason he can save us from our sin is because he's able to be a perfect substitute for us. Look at how 2 Corinthians describes this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There was no easy road for Jesus to fix the brokenness of sin. There was no easy way to fix the brokenness of the cosmos, the brokenness of the world, like brokenness that we see displayed, you know, this last year and, and even these last few days with what's going on in the United States. The brokenness individually that all of us are, are aware of and experience ourselves. Let me, let me be transparent for a moment and share where this brokenness manifests itself in my life. One of the ways is through fear. Specifically, I would say the fear of regret. It's like, it's like I'm afraid of making or repeating mistakes. Uh, it's like I'm afraid of being misunderstood. There's regret bound up with missing opportunities or, or limiting potential. And that is all compounded with the fact that I've seen leaders, I've seen people even at my own life stage, the same life stage, fail and fall. And so I'm asking myself in these conversations recently, like, am I immune? Am I immune from that level of weakness, vulnerability, brokenness, and sin and failure? Am I immune? And maybe you yourself are aware too of where you are weak, of where you are vulnerable, of where you are struggling. And it's like, the bad news is, we're not immune. But the good news is we don't have to be. Because where we fail on our own, Jesus succeeds all alone, out in the wild. Like, it's, it's, it, God's story 
if we look back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, the, the, this rebellion, this brokenness enters the world because what God's people do is they don't take what God said and what God did seriously enough and they, and they rebel against him, they believe the lie. And you can, you can track the story back in, in Genesis and see it elaborated on in scripture, especially in other places like Romans chapter 5. But as, but as this happens, once again, that same villain from back then, that same adversary, that same accuser, the devil comes with the same tactics, trying to get the same result out of Jesus that he's got out of people all throughout history. But not this time. See, if this, if this scene plays out like every other time before, it's over. There's no rescue. There's no redemption. There's no solution to the problem. But what Adam and Eve fail to do in the garden, Jesus succeeds at in the wilderness. And I think this is absolutely amazing. Jesus is becoming the new head of humanity. You can check this out sometime in Deuteronomy. It's the same place, the same passage of scripture that Jesus is quoting to the devil. God is forming a new people similar to the pattern of how he did it back with the Exodus. He did it by leading the people of Israel. How? It's the same way, by his spirit. Through where? The wilderness. For how long? A period marked by the number 40. And now God's people are going to be built on the obedience and the trust of God's son. I wonder if we could let Jesus in, in a new way this year, to let him into our lives in a new way this year. Like, I understand that this can be, this can be challenging and difficult. There's barriers to it based on our past experience and our present, maybe questions we have. He's, he's mysterious. He's invisible. But he really knows you. He really cares about you and can really meet you where you are at. Not where people say you should be. Not where people want you to be. Not where you yourself maybe uh, thought you would be. Like we, we all perhaps have planned to be somewhere else. You, you might be in a spot right now that you, it's not a place you planned for, not a place you dreamed for, not a place you expected. But there is one who can meet you where you actually are. And, and give you the power and the help to move from that place. I think it is absolutely mind-bending that the one who sees our worst loves us most. Like we put so much time, so much effort into curating what people think about us. We put filters and we go through all this effort to only show the, the highlights of our life, the best side of ourselves, just so that people will approve of us, like us, love us. And yet the one who sees us at our most unfiltered loves us more than anybody ever would or ever could. And because of the work of Jesus, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit on top of all of that. And when you let him into your life, there's a new resource. One that has both the experience to understand and the power to help you move forward. Look at what we're reminded of in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit plays a key role in Jesus' life, in the, in the gospel of Luke, and can play a key role in our lives today. I recently read a, a memoir uh, written by Kayla Steckline who described the experience of the tragic loss of her husband that, that made her a widow, that, that made her a single mom with three young boys. And, and she reflects in her book on, on the story, this exact scene of Jesus in the wilderness and how it helped her through that period of darkness and that ongoing struggle with a new reality. She says that in this powerful moment, 
God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus began a new kind of ministry here on earth. God could have left us alone, but instead God sent him a helper, a comforter, a guide, an intercessor, a friend who would play an invaluable part in the life and ministry of Jesus, a foreshadowing of what God would do for us all. Whether we find ourselves in the dark, lonely places of the valley or in the bright, warm sun on the mountaintop, we can draw comfort from the fact that just like Jesus, we never wander alone. Could we put ourselves in a position to let him in and let him work this week, this month, and this year? Like as a church, we're mobilizing into 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's going to be a great way to put ourselves in a position to experience a movement of God. But with it could come battle. With it could come temptation. With it could come testing. And I'm wondering, are we prepared like Jesus was? With both the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Because look at what Jesus had done here in this scene. Look again. Temptation number one. You know, Satan's tactics here in Luke and in our lives today are always to get us to question God's word and God's work. Temptation number one, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say. Temptation number two, Jesus replied, the scriptures say. Temptation number three, Satan tries to use the scriptures, but Jesus responded, the scriptures also say. Are we armed with, are we saturated with scripture ourselves because like we've been taught in, in, in the Bible, as we, as we see the, the account of what God's word is, it's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. Jesus himself said that he's the light of the world and whoever follows him would not walk in darkness, but would have the light of life. As a church, we create monthly memorization resources to help you get the word of God into your life and internalize it and keep it hidden in your heart. We, we create these and they're available on our resource page. They're available on our church at home page and they align with the message series. Maybe that would be a starting point for you. Maybe you need to try a Bible reading plan alone or maybe even with others and, and have that be a, a starting place as we head into this, this new year and as we head into 21 days of prayer and fasting. But look, whatever we do, we do with the knowledge that because Jesus went into the wild himself and won in obedience to and trust in the Holy Spirit, that he can help us today. That's why going back to Hebrews, Jesus has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So then verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You and I, we can approach God as dearly loved children because of what Jesus has done. And this is why, as scholar N.T. Wright would tell us, at the heart of our resistance to temptation is love and loyalty to the God who has already called us his beloved children in Christ and who holds out before us the calling to follow him in the path which leads to the true glory. In that glory lies the true happiness, the true fulfillment, which neither world nor flesh nor devil can begin to imitate. We can put ourselves in a position to experience God because God put himself in a position to be one of us. We all need him and he is available today.